Looking at our world from a theological perspective, this is the Theology Central Podcast, making Theology Central. Good afternoon, everyone. It is Friday, November the 25th, 2022. It is currently 426 p.m. Central Time, and I'm coming to you live from the Theology Central studio located right here in Abilene, Texas. Well, for this episode of the Theology Central podcast, we are going to turn our attention once again to Exodus chapter 33 and 34. There's been lots of discussion about Exodus 33 and 34 here on the podcast over the last few days. It all started at around 2 or 3 a.m. Don't even remember which day. I'm listening to podcasts, Love Worth Finding, a new episode drops, and it's, uh, I keep wanting to say Dr. Adrian Rogers, but I don't believe he has a, had a doctorate. So Pastor Adrian Rogers, the late Pastor Adrian Rogers, what, it was his, uh, I refer to it as a podcast. I mean, it is a podcast, but it's primarily a radio program that airs on Christian radio stations around the country called Love Worth Finding. All right. Now that's also a podcast. You can subscribe to Love Worth Finding wherever you get your podcasts. And it's basically the edited sermons of the late Adrian Rogers. So a new episode drops and I look at uh, my iPad and I'm like, huh, practicing the presence of God. That's an, that, that term, that term, that phrase, I could look at that in church history. I think there was a famous book called Practicing the Presence of God. I could go there, but you know what? I'll start listening. So I hit play, made it just a couple of seconds, stop and said, nope, we're going to start talking about that on the podcast, whether it's the today's focus podcast series, whether it's its own uh, podcast episode here for Theology Central, wherever, we're just going to start talking about this in all kinds of different ways. Now, some people love that because it, like if you listen to this and you listen to this, they all link together. They all are interconnected. Um, some people don't like when I do that. They want a bunch of different things, but sometimes just I have no control over it, right? Just I, 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 I love to allow something else to guide this podcast. And I don't mean that in a mystical way. I mean, whatever happens, an email, a conversation, a a podcast, I just, a lot of times I just kind of like, okay, where is today taking me? Well, it's taken us into this discussion about the the presence of God in Exodus 33 and 34. My my primary focus was, as soon as I started listening to it, and I heard it exactly kind of Dr. Adrian, I want to say Dr. Adrian Rogers, the late Pastor Adrian Rogers, um, the way he was going, the way he was using Exodus 33 and 34, I immediately had a problem. I'm like, there are some hermeneutical issues here. He's taking this text. He's he's not really using it as a historical narrative that describes something, but he's taking this historical narrative, almost turning it into an illustration, an allegory that supposedly prescribes certain steps that you and I are to take. And even when he did that, he kind of really ignored the actual chronological order of the text. He's like, Moses, you know, he was in the presence of God and his face was aglow. His face was shining, but then he lost the glory of God. He lost that, that glow and he, he maintained a veil to cover it up. So how do we get that glow back when we lose it? Well, then he goes back into the text before Moses' face shines to tell us how we're supposed to get it back, but that doesn't tell us how we get it back. That would tell us how he got it. But even if that told us how he got it, he ended up losing it. So he never really used the text for what the text was trying to say. It was a disaster. And so we reviewed all of that in part one. 
Well, I said that the uh, podcast, A Love Worth Finding, they took this sermon and broke it into two parts, Practicing the Presence of God Part 1 and Practicing the Presence of God Part 2. So today we review Part 2 and our Part 2 as we go back and listen to the late Adrian Rogers preach from Exodus 33 and 34. You should really listen to Part 1 to just see all of the hermeneutical problems. It just It's just maddening how he uses the text. I mean, it was like, Basically, the text was simply Plato, that you could just you could just break off and put it in any order you want just to, to just to preach your sermon. And you know that's been a theme throughout 2022, as I'm tired of churches putting the sermon in front of the text, in fact, using the sermon to basically distract and keep people from the text. I I I oh, that's been a major theme this year. Once again, though, that wasn't my plan. It's just things have led us into into that focus. So we'll see what he does in this sermon. Let's see how he handles Exodus 22 and 23, or Exodus Exodus 33 and 34. I'm messing everything up today. I apologize. Uh, But um, we'll see what he does. And I don't don't know how much of this is going to be repetitive. And I know what you're thinking. Well, wait a minute. You're reviewing it. You're supposed to know what's in it. (laughs) No, that's not how I do my podcast. When we review audio, the most I ever do is listen to the very beginning and go, that's something we can talk about. That's something we should cover. I don't listen to it all because if I do, what a lot of people who review sermons or review audio for their podcast, what they have a tendency to do is they kind of listen to it and basically rehearse and plan out what they're going to say. But that, to me, seems more like a performance. I like, oh, this looks interesting. Let's listen to it together in real time. React to it together in real time. Now, I think that's far more fun and interesting. But it is it is sometimes a train wreck because I never know where it's going. I'm, I'm just as like, you're sitting there going, I wonder where this is going. I'm sitting here going, I wonder where this is going. You're sitting there, wow, I don't know what to think about that. I'm live on the air going, I don't know what to think about that, okay? So so I, I don't know. I find that more fun. And some people have emailed me like, it would do, it would go so much better if you were better prepared. Look, I understand that, but it, I don't want this to be, it's not a show. It's like I listen to all kinds of things. So let's listen to them together because the goal here, because when people typically review things that are, what they do is they find bad sermons so that they can critique it and judge it. I don't, I don't want to be that. I just want to be someone who loves listening to the preaching and teaching of God's word from all kinds of different sources. And I like to talk about it and listen to it with you and then see where it leads us. This entire process has led us to a lot of discussion about the presence of God. And lo and behold, it was just, I don't know, how long ago was this? Um, let me see if I got a, I got a time. Um, well, it was, it was today. I think it was early this morning. The Christian Post posted an article, Five Things That Hinder the Presence of Christ. And I was like, whoa, okay. So we're talking about it. A new article just po- shows up on the, uh, the Christian Post. All right, I think I think I've made the right decision to follow this line of reasoning. I do. A lot of times people will question question when I start running with something, but I think sometimes people you'll just let it play out. I think typically it turns out to be beneficial. At least that's the story I'm sticking with, all right? So are you ready? Adrian Rogers, the late Adrian Rogers, preaching on Exodus 33 and 34. 
please continue to read those two chapters, all right? We, we talked about Exodus 33 again this morning for the Today's Focus podcast uh, series. But let's see where this goes. Please go back and listen to part one. It's not currently, it's not labeled part one. It's just called Practicing the Presence of God. Or no, it's called Exodus in the Presence of God, if I remember correctly. And we will uh, we will turn that into a part one and then this into a part two. We'll get it all figured out. It will all be easily uh, to find. We may have to turn this into a series on the presence of God. Um, we may have to turn this into a series. So, uh I'll talk to my graphics department. I think they're going to have to make me some artwork. And I don't know how many episodes it will be, but everything will just be grouped together. So uh, maybe that's what we will do. So it will be easy to find. Um, We'll get it all put together, and uh, you'll have access to all of this, I think, interesting discussion. But here we go. Adrian Rogers, Exodus 33 and 34. What he calls the practicing the presence of God, what we are calling Exodus and the presence of God, Part two. Here we go. Why do we sometimes feel God is a very distant idea rather than a close and loving father? Listen to Adrian Rogers. Do you know why God is not real to many of you? Here's what Jesus, our master, said. Listen to it. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now watch this. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Don't get the idea that you can claim the promises without obeying the commandments. Oh, my, oh, my, oh, my. Oh, what... Okay, ladies and gentlemen, this is going to conclude the review. We may need the next 37 hours to unpack this. Okay, this fits perfectly with our ongoing series on understanding law and gospel. All right, so let's let's think about this. All right, I'm going to agree with Adrian Rogers. I love to do this. Whenever I come up with something that I disagree with, I always say, okay, I will agree with you. And then I try to walk it to its logical conclusion. I'm like, okay, you're right. You're right. I'm not going to argue with you. I'm not going to debate with you. You're right. Now, if you are right, here are the ramifications of you being right. Here are the logical conclusions. Here is the conclusion of your point of view. Now, the reason I do that is because if I can agree with you, first, that stops the fighting and the arguing. Hopefully that will allow someone to say, yes, let's take it to its logical conclusion. And if we start walking it to its logical conclusion and we fall off the cliff and we drop a thousand feet and then our body is broken and bloodied at the bottom of the cliff, hopefully the other person will look over and go, okay, this doesn't work. That, that's the goal, right? So, so I don't even have to argue. I don't even have to argue. I don't even have to debate because arguing and debating with people rarely accomplishes anything. They take it personal. They get offended. They want to argue, 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 play gotcha, try to find some verse out of, out of context and say, or, or start asking you leading questions, trying to lead you into a trap. And it all becomes basically like a debate where you're trying to trick your, you're, you're trying to use debate tech uh, techniques to trap your opponent and win an argument. When it comes to theology, winning arguments rarely accomplish anything. I don't want to win an argument. I want to find truth. So what I will do is just say, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right, you're right. Let's follow it. So let's, let's say Adrian Rogers is right. The reason people don't feel the presence of God, the reason people in a sense have lost the presence of God 
It's because God will only manifest himself to those who do something. And what we must do is keep his commandments. Now, when it says keep his commandments, I wonder, and this is, this is a, this is a legitimate question that, that any, and I'll say, okay, I agree with you. God will not manifest himself to anyone who doesn't keep his commandments. You are 100% right. Okay. Now let's take this to so its logical conclusion. The next first step we would take would be, okay, how many of the commandments must we keep? All of them? And I'm assuming you would say all of them, unless you say, well, not all of them. And then I would, then what would be the logical question? Well, which ones do I not have to keep? So I'm assuming you would say, you got to keep all of them. Okay. Do I have to keep them perfectly? Well, no, 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 no one can keep them perfectly. So you don't have to keep them perfectly. Oh, okay. 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 So even though Jesus said that, you know, if you want to be loved and you want him to manifest himself, you've got to keep his commandments. He didn't mean that you have to keep them perfectly. All right, so if I keep them 50% of the time, does that work? 60% of the Well, no, no, now you're, and then they'll get very frustrated and say, you're being ridiculous. No, 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 no. I'm just trying to follow your logic. I'm just trying to follow your logic. Because if I'm supposed to keep the commandments, I guarantee you, I can give you three that we don't keep. Are you ready? Number one, love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. Number two, love your neighbor as yourself. And number three, be, be ye holy as God is holy. You never keep those. You fall short of those continually. So since you don't follow those, then you should never feel the presence of God. You should never be loved by God because you constantly fail those. Well, no, no, you don't have to do it perfectly. Okay, so my imperfect, my imperfect obedience, or what, what, what do some people say? Half obedience is really at full, uh, you know, disobedience. What, whatever you want to say. So that my half obedience is sufficient for him to manifest himself? Well, yeah. Okay, don't you see the problem? The minute you say, no, 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 this is true. The reason we feel we don't feel the presence of God is because we don't obey God. Well, then I would say then we would have to obey him perfectly. And if you say, no, 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 you don't have to obey him perfectly, then you're left with the most subjective standard on the face of earth. Well, well, I mean, you know, as long as you're trying, as long as you're going in the right direction, Jesus didn't say as long as you're trying, he says, keep my commandments. So what is it? I would, I would say if I go with your, if I, if I agree with Adrian Rogers and take it to its logical conclusion, then, then nobody is loved. God will not manifest himself to any of us because what characterizes your life and my life is perpetual, continual disobedience. And to say otherwise is a complete denial of reality. So let's back this up again. This is crazy. This is crazy. Okay, I'm just gonna start it right from the beginning. Listen carefully. Oh, this. Oh man, I did not know it was going to go here. I did not know. Okay, it's just amazing. After uh, we're doing all of this, these hours and hours of work on on a proper distinction between law and gospel, and you know what I'm learning? Almost every time you listen to a sermon, it's law, law, law. Law, 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 law. It's amazing. It is fascinating. And yeah, I won't even I won't even go into a story, but okay, all right. But let's let's listen to this again, right? And and listen to exactly what he's saying. And what I want you in your mind go, okay, Adrian Rogers is right. Okay, what does that mean in practice? 
You're going to find yourself in a deal. You're going to have to start going, no, 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 no. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. It's not this. You're going to create the most subjective standard in the history of the world to supposedly get this promise. But Jesus says, keep the commandments. Well, then that means you have to keep them perfectly, exactly, entirely, personally, perpetually. And if you think you do that, (laughs) we can't even have a conversation because you're living in denial of what really is going on inside of you. Why do we sometimes feel God is a very distant idea rather than a close and loving father? Listen to Adrian Rogers. Do you know why God is not real to many of you? Here's what Jesus, our master, said. Listen to it. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now watch this. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Okay, so according to this standard that Jesus is giving, you don't love God unless you keep his commandments. Do you keep all of them? So so most Christians will say, that's right, you don't love God unless you keep his commandments. But then they water it down to either find a way that you are keeping them or say, well, it doesn't mean perfect. It just means kind of. It just means some of them. It just means some of the time. That's not what Jesus just said. So do you love God? All right. Do you keep his commandments? Oh, and if you want to be loved by God, you got to keep his commandments. Oh, and if you want him to manifest himself to you, you have to keep his commandments. That is straight up a law situation. The law is saying, this is what's required. It's the same kind of thing when the rich young ruler said, what must I do to have eternal life? Well, keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Keep the commandments. Well, at some point you have to say, I cannot keep these. I fall short. But in Christ Jesus, I keep all of them. That's the only hope. As long as we have a sinful nature, we're never going to keep that. Again, I will just give you one. Love God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. If you think you do that, you're living in a land of denial. Or another one. Be ye holy as God is holy. That means perfection. That means perfection internally, externally, in thought, in word, deed, and desire. You never accomplish that. Well, there's those are commandments. Wow, it's just, this is just so crazy. I'm going to back this up one more time. One more time, man. One more time. I know. I know you're going to say, I'm tired of hearing this. No, this, this seems to be like the thesis they're going with in this episode. We, I don't even know. We're not even going to be able to review all of this because this is just so. But, but at, you know what? In some cases, this is so crazy. But this is really just basic evangelical Christianity. Why do we sometimes feel God is a very distant idea rather than a close and loving father? Listen to Adrian Rogers. Do you know why God is not real to many of you? Here's what Jesus, our master, said. Listen to it. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now watch this. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my father, and I will love him and will manifest myself to him. Don't get the idea that you can claim the promises without obeying the commandments. It just does not work that way. Welcome to Love Worth Finding, featuring powerful biblical lessons and insights from Adrian Rogers. 
In Exodus chapter 33, God shined his glory on the face of Moses. But over time, Moses lost the glow. Do you identify with him? As Christians, we are temples of God. The Lord lives, dwells in us. But many of us are not aware of the presence of God. How can we restore that glow that comes from a close relationship with him? Oh, you see where this is going. Hey, even though God literally dwells inside of you, he's literally inside of you, you can lose awareness of his presence. You can just be, I just lost it. Now, you would think God could fix it. I mean, he's inside of me. You think God could be like, uh, hello, hello, I'm right here, I'm right here. Okay, but no, 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 no. God can't fix it. I have to fix it. And what do I do to fix it? I must obey his commandments. Oh, now, now, but then we'll be like, but, but, but you don't have to obey them perfectly. Okay, so incomplete obedience can fix it. Well, I mean, I mean, well, it depends. And well, see, then it just becomes a subjective mess. And just think, do, when, when, when he says we don't get the promises without obeying the commands, is, is he meaning we've got to obey all the commandments to get any of the promises? Or is he saying we only have to obey the commands that are atta- attached to specific promises? Well, if we only have to obey... Even if we only have to obey the commands attached to specific promises, I will show you over and over and over how you fall short even of those commands. If you have your Bible, turn to Exodus chapter 33. We'll begin in verse 1 as Adrian Rogers delivers part 2 of how to practice the presence of God. Some who Oh, and you're getting the idea. If you listen to part 1 and now the beginning of part 2, you should be getting an idea. How do you practice the presence of God by doing things, doing things, doing things, doing things, doing things, obeying, 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 obeying. So you practice the presence of God by doing and obeying. <laughs> That's a law-based, completely law-based, completely. But of, of course, and they'll say, well, and they'll say, and, they, and you know what the way, you don't have to do it perfectly. So somehow my per- perpetual continual disobedience to some level is sufficient enough to say, I've kept the commandments enough that I can practice the presence of God. It is such a, like, I don't know how Christians say these things and no one goes, wait a minute, how does this even work? We, we just say words and then people are like, amen, amen, amen. Nobody's ever like, well, wait, wait, okay, wait, let me, okay, how does that, no, we just, we just hear sermons, say amen, Grab onto some cliches and everyone repeats them and nobody's ever going, wait, 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 we got to think this through. That, I don't even know how that works. Well, let's see if he's going to make it clear for us. Listening by radio, there was once a time when God was very real to you and you still outwardly saying, yes, Jesus is real and precious to me, but inwardly you know that you're hiding behind some kind of a veil. Well, let me give you some steps to make God real, to get the glow back. And I still want you, and and, and I am not doing this for you. I'm refusing to do this for you. I'm refusing. I will only do this when one of our listeners accomplishes the homework, okay? And the homework is this. I want you to find in Exodus 33 and 34 where Moses loses the glow. That's number one. Number two, where the text clearly says he continued to wear the veil to hide that fact. And number three, the steps he took to get it back. All right. Find me the text where he loses the glow. Find me the text that clearly says he continued to wear the veil to deceive the people. 
And number three, what did he do to get it back? Right? I, I, I'm waiting for you, and I need you to give me that three-point outline and give me the scriptures. Right? Because so far, I mean, he's in part two here. That's been a major thesis of his sermon. He's yet to show us anywhere in the text where, those, where this supposedly occurs. He, I'm not saying it's not there, but you would think in a sermon, you would go, look, here's where he lost it. See his deception and continue to wear the veil. And then here's what, how he gets it back. The whole sermon is about to how to get it back. But instead of showing how Moses gets it back, he goes before Moses' face even started shining and taking principles from there to show us how to supposedly get it back. But he completely fails to acknowledge, well, wait a minute, Moses did all of these things and ended up losing it. So does this get it back or are these steps that may get it, but we can lose it? Like he, he's not bothered to put this in any kind of order that makes any kind of sense. What to do when the glow is gone? Number one, there must be determination. There must be determination. You so number one is determination. Remember, this is all review from part one. Determination. Now, he gets the determination from early on in Exodus 33, but this is before Moses' face even starts shining. So that's what's bizarre. Unless he's saying that Moses' face was shining earlier, he had lost it earlier, he's been wearing the veil. Now in chapter 33, he's going to get it back. Well, if that's the case, he's not demonstrated that either, right? So now, if you lose the glow, all you've got to do is you've got to be determined. I need the glow back. I need the glow back. I need to feel the presence. I've got to be determined. Please, this is all about what you do, what you do, what you do, what you do. Let, let's see if he re, re, uh, reviews all the points. I must say, God, I will not take your blessings without you. I don't want any angel. I need you. Determination. Number two, preparation. Be ready in the morning. You got to prepare. You got to prepare. Now, again, he's taking these principles from Exodus 30 through 33 and making them prescriptive for you. As if, hey, everything that happens here is for us. Well, he, he doesn't demonstrate exactly how this is supposed to work. But OK, so we've got to be determined and then we've got to prepare we got to prepare. Again, it's, it's, it's what you do, what you do, what you do, what you do. Even though God is supposedly inside of us, God can't return the glow to us until we do things. And I pray, God, you will be ready in the morning. Now, here's the third thing. Uh, determination, preparation. Number three, isolation. Look in verse three. Chapter now you got to isolate yourself. You got to isolate yourself. Now this where it basically turns into your daily quiet time. The way to get it back is daily quiet time. Isolate yourself, have a notebook, have a Bible, do this step, do this step, do this step, and dun, 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 the glow will return. Now I know I, I, I'm, I, you think I'm being very facetious and sarcastic. I'm not trying to be. It's just so bizarre that God's inside of you, but he can't give you the glow until you do. You get that notebook, you get that. That, uh, that, that isolation and you do daily quiet time and then, 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 then it comes back. So it's not God really giving you the glow. It's you producing the glow by what you do. I don't know. I don't know who's doing what. It sounds like we're doing it all. Chapter 34, verse 3, and no man shall come up with thee. That is Moses. It's just going to be you and me alone. If you study the history of people in the Bible who have been blessed and had therefore been a blessing. These are people who met God in a place of isolation. And please note, he just randomly grabs the verse from Exodus 33 or 34 at any time. Like, like it, he just looks for the phrase, oh, this phrase works. 
This phrase, this, this phrase works. He doesn't care where it's at in the narrative. He doesn't care about the narrative, the, the order of the narrative, the flow of the narrative. He's just looking for individual phrases and just building his thesis off phrases without ever, even if it goes against the actual order of the text and exactly how this is all taking place. It's really, it's maddening at, at, at some points to listen to. This would almost be an, a, something to use in hermeneutics class in seminary of what not to do to the text. Forget seminary. This should be used in every Sunday school class. Don't do this to the text. Abraham was alone when the Lord spoke to Abraham and gave him that great covenant. Daniel was alone when God spoke to him and gave him a prophecy. Uh, Paul was alone in Arabia where God gave him the epistles, the great things that he wrote down for us in the book of Romans. Peter was alone on a rooftop when he had a vision and God spoke to Simon Peter up there about Cornelius and opening the door to the Gentiles. John was alone on the Isle of Patmos on the Lord's day when God gave him the book of the Revelation. Moses was alone in the wilderness when God gave him the Ten Commandments. And the Bible tells us about the greatest example of all, the Lord Jesus, in the midst of a busy, fruitful ministry where miracles were being done, withdrew himself to the wilderness. And just so that, I don't want anyone to get confused here because we have to understand this. A lot of times in a sermon, and this is, this is maddening to me. Sometimes in a sermon when you're like, whoa, 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 what are you going, what's going on here? What's happening here? Somebody will always email going, but are you seeing what he's saying is not true? I'm not saying that isolation is not important and there's all kinds of biblical examples about isolation. But he's saying that isolation is the solution, solution that Moses used to get the glow back or how, or, or that Exodus 33 and 34 is giving us the solution to give us the, the glow back. Is Exodus 34 telling us how to get the glow back? Is, is, that even, is that even the point there? Now, if you want to just do a sermon on examples of isolation in the Bible, and we're going to start with Abraham, and we're going to go here, we're going to go to Moses, and we're going to go maybe to David, and we're going to go to Peter, and we're going to go to Paul, I got no problem. Let's look at those individual passages, put it all in context, and say, here's the example, and Jesus as well, here's the examples of isolation. Great. But his thesis is, that Moses' face started shining, he lost it, he deceived everyone by continuing to wear a veil, and then he seems to imply that these are the steps to get it back. But he's not at all demonstrated any of those concepts from the text. He's just taken individual phrases. To pray. Determination, it must be there. Friend, preparation, it must be there. Isolation, it must be there. When you pray, enter into your closet and pray. Now, here's the next thing, if you want that conscious presence of God, and that is expectation. Notice now, beginning in verse 4, And Moses rose up early in the morning and went up into, the mount, up into Mount Sinai, as the Lord had commanded him, and he took in his hand uh, the two tables of stone. And the Lord descended in the cloud and stood with him there and proclaimed the name of the Lord. Now Moses went up there to find out something from God and he got a revelation. Moses went up there because God told him to. Okay, <laughs> he's turning it into that Moses is like, I'm going up this mountain because I'm going to find out something about God. No, no, look, look at the entire context. 
Exodus 34, 1. And the Lord said unto Moses, Hew thee two tables of stone like unto the first, and I will write upon these tables the words that were in the first tables. He tells him exactly what you're going to do. Make these stones, and I'm going to give you what I've already given you. He tells him exactly what he's going to do. It's not like Moses is like, oh, man, I don't know. I'm going to spend some time in isolation today, and I'm going to expect God to give me something. And so I'm going to go up in this mountain, and he's going to give me something. He's misrepresenting the text. Moses went because God told him to go. That's, That's what happened. God spoke to Moses, and God said, now, Moses... I'm going to give you something. I want you to be prepared to take it down. Take with you two blank tablets. He's not like, I'm just going to give you something. I'm going to give you what I gave you before. Okay. (laughs) Oh, man. I'm telling you, sermons are the enemy of the Bible. I'm telling you, sermons are the enemy of the Bible. We just, we, we have to preach a sermon. We don't even care if it even stays consistent with what the text is actually saying. I wonder when you have a quiet time, are you expecting God to give you something? I mean, when you open the Word of God, do you expect to learn? Have this expectation that God is going to speak to you. Hew you two tablets of stone. Well, if you don't want to do that, get a notebook. And be prepared for God to speak to you. Let me make it very clear. Anyone who believes God speaks to them outside of the actual written Word in the Bible... I'm sorry, you're destroying the authority of Scripture. You do not believe in sola scriptura, and I believe it's insane and nonsense. If God is speaking to us outside of the Bible, just just take it to its logical conclusion. If God is speaking to you, God is speaking to me, and God is giving me revelation, God is giving me information, God is giving me truth, right? Well, then guess what? After 2,000 years of church history, we should have one denomination, one commentary, and one truth. But we have thousands and thousands and thousands of denominations with thousands and millions of commentaries. Nobody agrees on any doctrine. Everyone, no one even agrees on how to interpret a passage of Scripture, but everyone is claiming God is speaking to them. And just please note, here's what happened. If you're reading the Bible and you claim that God gave you something, told you something about that Scripture, or helped you understand that Scripture, then what you are claiming is that your understanding came directly from God. And if your understanding of the Scripture came directly from God, in theory, it should be infallible without error and perfectly true. Meaning that anyone disagrees with you, they're wrong because your understanding came from God. No, here's what happens. You open a Bible, you read it. You know what you're reading? You're reading God's revelation, God's truth, but it's in a written form. And therefore, guess what we are going to do? Us, as sinful, fallible human beings, are going to use the skills of interpreting a written thing like we use in interpreting any written material, any written, uh, anything that we interpret in reading, a book, a novel, whatever the case may be. And we're going to use those principles to try to come to an understanding. But because we're fallible, because we're sinners, then our, our understanding is going to be mixed with truth and error and flaw. And, and as a result, where no one's going to agree with each other. That's exactly what we see. But Christians everywhere wants to say, no, God is leading us into truth and God is telling us things. God was leading the disciples into truth who wrote the infallible word of God, not us. If he was leading us, we would have one commentary, one interpretation, one doctrinal statement, one church, one truth. Everyone claims God, God, God's leading me into truth. Well, then how come 
How come I, so I disagree with you. Is God leading me into truth? Well, yeah, he's leading you into truth. Well, if he's leading me into truth, he's telling me that your truth is wrong. And if he's leading you into truth, your truth is telling me you're wrong. Something makes no sense, but nobody within the church at large can ever stop and go, wait, this makes absolutely no sense. No, it's just always get a notebook and listen to what God tells you and write it down. Well, if God is telling me something and I write it down, I'm going to put it in quotation marks, meaning I'm writing down inspired scripture. And you say, no, 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 it's not inspired scripture. If God has given me the words, it's inspired scripture. And if I write it down and it's supposedly God's words, I've got to place it in quotations. <laughs> well, I don't know how you can say, no, 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 it's different than the Bible. It is. God gave you the words and you're supposed to write it down in a notebook. Now, here's the next thing. After that expectation, there comes that adoration. You see, God spoke to Moses. God gave Moses one of the most incredible, concise revelations of his nature and character. You say, well, I already knew that. Do you know why you knew it? Because God gave it to Moses. And Moses recorded it. You didn't think it up. I mean, this is heavy-duty stuff. But now, when Moses has this revelation, what does he do? Look in verse 8. And Moses made haste and bowed his head toward the earth and worshiped adoration. Now, on the basis of truth, he worships. We worship God how? In spirit and in truth. Real worship is intelligent worship based on the revealed Word of God. Are you ready to receive the Word of God? You know, James says we're to receive the Word with meekness. And that means we're to humble ourselves and welcome the Word of God. The reason that many of us don't receive more from the Bible than we do is the Bible says Jesus said that God has hidden these things from the wise and the prudent. He's revealed them unto babes. If you come to the Bible as a know-it-all, you're not going to get much. Uh, you just have to receive truth with a humble heart as you adore and worship the Lord. Now next, listen to this. After he comes and gets this uh, revelation and he has this adoration, then there comes this intercession. Notice in verse 9, now he's ready to pray for others. And uh, he says in verse 9, and he said, If now I have found grace in thy sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray thee, go among us. For it is a stiff-necked people. When he says, let my Lord go among us, he's saying, Lord, I want your presence. For it is a stiff-necked people. And pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us for thine inheritance. What's he doing? This is called intercession. He's praying for others. But you see, his intercession is based on... And again, please note, this is before his face starts shining. But supposedly, this is telling us how to get the glow back after Moses lost it. But this is before it occurs. Moses' face starts shining in chapter 34, starting in verse 29 through 35. All right? <laughs> Unless, did, did it start shining in 33? Let me make sure I, I'm not missing something, because if it is how it got it back, no, this is, that's where it began. Again, I'm trying not to give too much away because I've given this as homework. Again, find, find where Moses' face starts shining. Find uh, when he loses the glow. Find where he uh, continued to wear the veil to deceive everyone because he didn't want them to know. And then find where he gets it back. He, he, the whole thesis is Moses lost it. Now this is how we get it back. But the, he keeps looking at the scriptures. Bef, behind, 
before his face even started shining. And even if he did all of these things, he ultimately supposedly lost it. So then what are these things supposed to actually accomplish? I don't know. So many issues with this sermon, but okay. Revelation and adoration. I mean, he comes with expectation, he gets a revelation, he gives an adoration, and then he gives an intercession. He begins to pray for other people. Now, many times we pray for other people and we really don't know how to pray because we don't pray on the uh, basis of truth. But notice what engendered him to pray this way. Look in verse 6. And the Lord passed by before him and proclaimed, The Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering, and abundant in mercy and goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin. He said, okay, I've got it now. <laughs> I know what kind of God you are. And now, Lord, these folks are in a mess. And oh, God, they need you. And now he begins to plead for them and pray for them and intercede for them. Let me just stop here and say for a moment, who should you intercede for? Well, don't try to intercede for everybody. If you try to intercede for everybody, you'll end up interceding for nobody. It'll become such an onerous task. It'll become so big that you just say, well, I'm frustrated. I don't know who to pray for or what to pray for. God will give you an assignment in prayer if you're walking in the Spirit. Amen. Oh, here, here we go. Uh, so once again, it's t- turning into... God's, God's going to tell you, basically, God's guiding you. God's going to tell you what to do outside of Scripture. He's going to give you information. He's going to give you an assignment. It, it's, oh, boy, boy, boy. I don't even know why we really need the Bible in modern-day evangelicalism. I really don't know why we need a Bible. God talks to us. God speaks to us. God guides us. God, well, I don't even know why. Why study Scripture? Why? God just does this all apart from Scripture anyway. And obviously, uh, studying Scripture has not helped anybody because nobody can agree on it. So let's just throw all of our Bibles away and just listen to all of this guidance and direction and revelation and information. And then maybe then we could all agree. God will speak to you. Moses said, Lord, forgive this people. He didn't pray for all the people on earth. He had those people that were around him. These were his responsibility. Or maybe, maybe the reason he didn't pray for the rest of the people is because he's dealing with God's covenant people and this entire narrative is about Israel. <laughs> yeah. Are you saying that? Like, okay, Lord, who do I pray for today? Let's see. Let's see. Um, I, I, well, I can't pray for all the people. It, this whole narrative is about Israel. It's, it's, I don't even understand. This is not, well, Moses is showing us that we don't pray for everyone, that we only pray for specific people. I, I guess if we follow that, that logic and we take it to his logical conclusion, we should only pray for Israel? I mean, like, what in the world? Your children are your responsibility. My children are my responsibility. Uh, you remember that the parable that Jesus gave about the man who wanted some bread? And he woke up his neighbor and he said, a friend is come to me in his journey. I have nothing to set before him. And what our Lord was talking about there was intercession. And he was not talking about physical bread in the meaning of the parable, but I need truth for this man. I need the Holy Spirit. He says, how much more shall God give the Holy Spirit to them that ask him? That's the purpose of that parable. And what I'm trying to say to you is this, that when you are in the Spirit, When God is speaking to you, God will lay upon your heart, and nobody else can do this, but God will do this. 
And sometimes I say this, and I, I feel funny when I say it, because people will sometimes glibly say to me, sometimes perfect strangers, I'll be preaching sometimes, standing out the front, maybe in a Bible conference, and shaking hands, and somebody will come by and say, I'm so-and-so and so-and-so, put me on your prayer list. I don't say it out loud, but I say, fat chance. You say, oh boy, you're so unspiritual. No, I'm not. I mean, if I were to put everybody on... He's spiritual. See, he's, he's the spiritual one. He's got to figure this out because you only pray for the people who God supposedly tells you to pray for. And he's going to tell you outside of Scripture because God obviously speaks to us apart from the Bible. So... <sighs> If God's telling us who to pray for by name, what I wish he would do is just tell us what to believe about baptism or the Lord's Supper or salvation or eternal security of the believer or justification or sanctification, because then we could just have one doctrine. But no, he, he always gives us this other stuff. But he's always so precise and direct and clear, <laughs> but... Nobody can agree on one doctrine. I, sometimes, I, I don't even know if Christians ever think anything through sometimes. It's just maddening. But all right, here we go. My prayer list, they glibly asked me to, to get on the prayer list. I wouldn't be able to pray for those assignments that God gives me to pray. Now, generally, if a man says, put me on your prayer list, I'll say, hey, let's just pray right now. Just stop right now and I'll pray for him. Not that I'm against prayer. But folks, I want to tell you something. If you're on anybody's prayer list, you're blessed. Did you know that? Did you know that? And again, does, is this the purpose of Exodus 33 and 34? Anyone? Anyone? Is this what we really are supposed to take from this? I There are times people meet me and they say to me, and I know they mean it, Pastor, I pray for you every day. <laughs> it brings tears to my eyes right now thinking about it. I guess what you should say, whoa, 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 you pray for me? Did God tell you to? Did God tell you to pray for me? Because if he didn't, you're not following the assignment. You should only pray for the people that God gives you. And I'm assuming there's people more directly involved in your life than me. So, I mean, do, do, you, do you rebuke them for possibly not praying according to their assignment? I pray for you every day. Listen, there are about 6 billion people on this earth. If somebody is praying for you regularly, you're blessed. You are blessed. And God gives us assignments, people and things that we're to pray for. These were Moses' people. He was the commander-in-chief. And now he is having that time where he intercedes for them. But it's not finished yet. You want the presence of God? Moses said, I'm not going into Canaan without it. And I'm assuming the way you get the presence of God is you got to pray for people. So you gotta, you got to be determined. you got to prepare. you got to isolate. You, you have to... Uh, I don't remember. Oh, uh, adoration. You have to adore. You have to worship. Oh, and you have to intercede. So you got to make sure you write down all of these things because the only way you're going to get the, pre even though God is in you, you won't be conscious of his presence until you do, do, do all of these things. And you must obey them and you must do them. Well, I'm, again, I'm assuming you'd have to do them perfectly because I don't know how incomplete obedience to this would give you the presence of God since God seems to demand perfect obedience to have or to experience the presence of God, according to Pastor Adrian Rogers, the late Adrian Rogers. Adoration, intercession, and then look in verses 10 and 11, observation. Look, if you will, now. And he said, 
Behold, I make a covenant before all thy people. I will do marvels such as I have not done in all the earth, nor for any nation. And all the people among which thou art shall see the work of the Lord. For it is a terrible thing that I will do with thee. Now, when he says a terrible thing, what he means is it is going to be terrifying to those round about you when they see the mighty hand that I have for you and the power over you. And then look in verse 11. Observe thou that which I command thee this day. Now, when he says observe, he doesn't mean to look. He means to obey. Observation here means to obey, uh, to keep the commandments. Notice, observe thou that which I command thee this day. Behold, I will drive out before thee the Amorite and the Canaanite and the Hittite and the Perizzite and the Hivite and the Jebusite, you expect him to say, and the termite. And I'm I'm going to drive all of these out if you will obey me. Now, folks, this is one of the most important points right here that I have to say to you, and I'm almost finished. All right, so here we go. Now we're going to get it. We're going to get just how this began. Now we're going to return to it. Are you ready? Here we go. You want the presence of God. You want to experience the presence of God. If you've lost the glow and you're hiding behind a veil like Moses was, the way you get it back, not only do you have to do all of these other things, now we have to obey the commandments. Now, let's see if he explains, well, then what happens when we disobey the commandments? Because we're continually disobeying the commandments. So how can my continual disobedience be counted as obedience that's sufficient enough for me to then feel the presence of God? Because I don't understand how this works. This really gets down to the crux of the matter. And all of the rest of it will kind of unravel if you don't understand this part. When God speaks to you, when you have this determination, when you have this preparation, when you have this isolation, when you have this expectation, when you have this adoration, when you have this intercession, if you do not then begin to live what God shows you, none of the rest of it works. You've got to obey. Sorry about that, folks, but it's true. I'm not really sorry about it, but I I just kind of hate to see you disillusioned. Don't get the idea that you can claim the promises without obeying the commandments. It just does not work that way. Do you know why God is not real to many of you? To many of us. Let me give it to you. John 14, verse 21. Put it down and listen to it. Here's what Jesus, our master, said. Listen to it. He that hath my commandments and... Anybody know that next word? And keepeth them. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. That's observation. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them. He it is that loveth me. Now, friend, if you're not obeying the commandments of Jesus, you ought to shut your mouth when the church stands up and sings, Oh, how I love Jesus. Okay, so, if, and so when you hear someone in the background, amen. This is, oh. That is the most insane comment I have ever heard in my life. If you are not obeying the commandments, you shut your mouth and you don't stand up and sing, oh, how we love Jesus or oh, how I love Jesus because you don't love him if you don't obey him. All right. Okay. All right. Then you know what? 
Let's just shut the church down and send everyone home because not one person in that church, including Adrian Rogers, obeyed the commandments. Let me give you three. Love the Lord that God with all your heart, mind, body, and soul. We all fall short. Love the Lord. Uh, love your neighbor as yourself. You fall short. Be ye holy as God is holy. You don't keep those commandments. You never have. You never will. You fall short. You fall short externally, internally. You fall short in thought, word, deed, and desire. So someone's going to email me and say, but, but you don't have to do it perfectly. Well, if you don't do it perfectly, then you're not keeping the commandments. To keep the commandments would be you keep every single one exactly, entirely, internally, perpetually, personally, perfectly. So to say, hey, if you don't keep the commandments, you don't love Jesus, then no, no, nobody, nobody loves Jesus. Therefore, nobody should be able to say, I love Jesus. No, we all fall short. If loving Jesus requires perfect obedience, then nobody does. It's as simple. Unless you so water down the commandments to such a degree that it's only the external action done on some really big, big, big sins. Okay, don't get an abortion. Don't be an alcoholic. Don't sleep with a prostitute. Like it's got to be some big things, but, but it's all just the external action. And then you can pat yourself on the back going, I, I love, you can be the person in the church going, amen, amen. I can stand up and say, I love Jesus, but those people in the back can't. Not one person should have said amen. Every person should have said, well, then owe me. None of us can say we love Jesus because none of us obey his commandments. Do you really believe you obey all the commandments? If you think you do, there is a serious, serious, serious. You need to explain to me what you mean by obedience. And you need to tell me, obviously, what, oh, because you obviously had to throw out about a thousand commandments. You only had, you probably reduced it to just a couple. I don't know. Don't kill anyone. But even, but remember when the rich young ruler tried to play this game? Hey, I've kept all of these commandments since my youth. And Jesus is like, oh, you did? Well, then go sell everything you have and give to the poor. And he's like, well, I'm out of here. Well, wait a minute. All you got to do is love your neighbor as yourself. Sell everything you have. And so what most Christians say, well, you don't have to do that. You just have to be willing to do it. Well, how do you know you're willing to do it unless you do it? So if you keep all the commandments to show that you love Jesus, well, then I need you to go sell everything you have. I needed you to take all the money you have in your bank account. And I need you to, uh, well, you can uh, go to the Church One app or the Sermons 2.0 app or TheologyCentral.net. Look for the donate tab and send it all to, well, Victory Baptist Church. Send it all there. And when you don't have anything, then you can say, I've kept the commandment. I love my neighbor as myself. He said, well, no, no, you don't have to do it. You just have to be willing to do it. Okay, well, isn't it convenient that all you have to do is to be willing to do it? <laughs> because you never have to prove it. See, when the, when the rich young ruler found himself in this situation, he went away sad. He went away. He, he walked away from God. What he should have said is, I cannot do this. I will never do this. I need a savior. In Christ, though, I do these things perfectly. That's your only, that's the only solution. Look, this is a theological problem that your solution is either you believe you can keep all the commandments perfectly, meaning you can be sinless, which you know you can't. So that doesn't work. Or you have to somehow try to find some subjective standard. Well, I don't have to do it perfectly. I just have to kind of try. So my imperfect obedience is sufficient to, for this to work so I can love you. It's all going to fall apart. 
because you're telling a lie. He that hath my commandments and keepeth them, he it is that loveth me. Now watch this. And he that loveth me shall be loved of my Father, and I will love him. Now wait, listen. And will manifest myself to him. That's very, very important. We're talking about the manifest presence of Jesus. The Lord says, you want me to be real to you? You want to know why I'm not real to you? Because you don't love me. How do you know, Lord, I don't love you? Because you don't keep my word. Well, if I did love you, would I keep your word? Yes, you would. And what would happen if I kept your word? I'd be very real to you. I would manifest myself to you. If Jesus Christ is not real to you, get his word, keep his word, and see what happens. See what happens. That's all you got. And again, there's that guy in the background saying, amen. All you got to do, just get get a Bible and keep it. That's all you got to do. Then Jesus will be real to you. All you got to do is keep it. That's all you got to do. That's it. Simple. Boom. Oh, wait, I have a sinful nature. Oh, doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. This is the evangelical game where we tell everyone, you can do it. 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 I mean, you have a sinful nature and you can't do it perfectly, but you can do it. You can do it. You can do it. So I can do it, but I can't do it. But if I don't do it, then I don't love Jesus. And I don't love Jesus. Then he, then the father doesn't love me and he won't manifest himself to me, but I can do it. All I got to do is keep it, but I can't keep it perfectly. But my imperfect keeping it is sufficient for this transaction to work. (laughs) I can't be the only one who sees the logical fallacy in all of this. I can't be the only one to see the theological train wreck that this really is. I cannot be the only one. The only people I can understand who don't get it are people who've only been a Christian for five minutes. But anyone who's been saved for any length of time, like I keep sinning and I sin and I don't keep this commandment and I fall short of this commandment. And I, I mean, I, just, I wrote down just a couple of commandments, love God with my heart, mind, body, and soul. I never pull that off. Love my neighbor as myself. I never do that and be holy as God is holy. How can I ever be as holy as God is? He's perfect. He will manifest himself to you. Observation. And then last of all, transformation. Look, if you will now, let's just fast forward to uh, verses 29 through 35 and see what happened. And it came to pass, when Moses came down from Mount Sinai with the two tablets of testimony. This is bizarre. Because the whole thesis of this sermon is that Moses lost the glow, and this is how he got it back. But he's not demonstrated where Moses lost it and where he got it back. He's he's accused Moses of losing the glow, deceiving everyone about it, and and then I guess supposedly getting it back. So now here's the transformation. So he... I, I don't understand where he, he's never demonstrated the other claims in his sermon from the text. He's not even, he's not even giving us a hint where he got these other claims from. In Moses' hand, when he came down from the mount, Moses wist not, that is, he did not know that the skin of his face shone while he talked with him. And when Aaron and the children of Israel saw Moses, behold, the skin of his face shone. And they were afraid to come nigh him. And Moses called unto them, and Aaron and all the rulers of the congregation returned unto him, and Moses talked with them. 
And afterward all the children of Israel came nigh, and he gave them in commandment all that the Lord had spoken with him in Mount Sinai. And until Moses had done speaking with them, he put a veil on his face. His face was so bright they couldn't look on it. It, it was frightening to them. Verse 34, And when Moses went in before the Lord to speak with him, he took the veil off until he came out. And he came out and spake unto the children of Israel that which he was commanded. And the children of Israel saw the face of Moses, that the skin of Moses' face shone. And Moses put the veil upon his face again until he went in to speak with him. That's very interesting. What had happened is that Moses is spending so much time with the Lord face to face that Moses' face begins to shine as a reflection of the Shekinah glory of God. You know, in my fireplace, I have a poker. I can take that poker and just kind of poke around in the fire and put it back, and it'll hardly be hot. But I can take that poker if there's a roaring fire and put that poker in the fireplace and leave it in there long enough. And you know what'll happen? It'll begin to glow. Because not only will the poker be in the fire, the fire will be in the poker. And when you spend enough time in the presence of God, the presence of God gets into you. <laughs> Not only are you there in the presence of Nope, we have a new rule. You got to spend a lot of time in the presence of God. I mean, a lot of time. So that's all you should do. That's all. I mean, I mean, literally, if you want your face to shine, you got to spend. So it's not just isolation. No, you've got, and it's not just obedience. I've got to be in the presence of God. I don't know how long. Is it three hours a day? Four hours a day. Is it five hours a day? Is it six hours a day? Do I tell my boss I can't come because I'm trying to get my face to glow? I mean, what, what, what is it? What, what, what's the time limit? Of course, he's not going to tell us that because, you know, why not? I mean, this is just theoretical stuff he's just throwing out, and, and, and he's yet to even demonstrate the main thesis of his sermon, but okay. Presence of God, but the presence of God gets into you. And as Moses is there beholding the glory of the Lord, the glory of the Lord is infusing itself into uh, Moses, and Moses is transformed. We well, say, Pastor, that's all Old Testament. Yep, that's true. So I want you to turn to the New Testament, and I'm finished now in just a moment. But turn, if you will, to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. This is worth looking at. Because I want you to see how what we're talking about applies to you in New Testament times. In 2 Corinthians chapter 3, let's look in verses 7 and 8. But if the ministration of death, written and engraven in stones, was glorious. He's saying, if when God gave Moses the Old Testament Ten Commandments, if that was glorious, those Ten Commandments that really brought death if we didn't keep them, so the children of Israel could not steadfastly behold the face of Moses for the glory of his countenance, which glory was to be done away is that it ultimately faded is what he says. How shall not the ministration of the Spirit be rather glorious? That means more glorious. I mean, what he's saying is, look, if Moses going up there on, on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, <laughs> which only ministered death, if his face shone, what about us who now have the ministration of the Spirit? Shall that not be rather more glorious? And now skip on down to verses 17 and 18. Now the Lord is that Spirit. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there's liberty. But we all 
with open face, beholding as in a glass the glory of the Lord. Now he's talking about us, not Moses. Are changed into the same image from glory to glory, even as by the Spirit of the Lord. <laughs> Why does God want us to worship Him? Is God a little insecure? I mean, does He have to be constantly pumped up? Is God a celestial egotist that you have to keep telling Him how great He is? Listen, friend. All of your praise put together doesn't make Him one ounce more glorious. His glory doesn't depend upon us. He had that glory before the world ever began. We don't add to His glory. Why does He want us to worship Him? Because of what worship does for us. Because when we behold Him, we're changed. In so we do all of these things in order to get something, to get changed. So God doesn't change us. God gives us the steps in order that we change ourselves. Now, people say, no, 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 we don't change ourselves, but God won't change you until you do these things. So really, it's God doing it, but God gives you the steps to do it in order for it to happen. But one of those steps is obedience. So I guess we can never be changed or transformed since if obedience is required, we're never going to be perfectly obedient. I guess some obedience gives us some change, but what if I, if I obey in five ways, what happens with all the other disobedience that's still present in my life? Nobody can explain any of this to me. This is, oh boy. To the same image, from glory to glory. And the way to be like him is to see him and to worship him and praise him. And then you're changed, you are made like him. You know, you become like what you spend time with. My precious wife is down here. People say when husband and wife live together for a long enough time, they begin to look like one another. Frankly, Joyce is getting concerned. <laughs> Friend, listen. When you spend time with him, you're looking into the mirror of God's word. See, so it comes down to how much time are you spending with Jesus? Get your notebooks out. Let's figure out how many, how many hours are in a day. 24 hours are in a day. How many hours do you sleep? Okay, boom. All right, how many hours for this? Okay, work, hygiene, food. Okay, all right. Now you subtract. How many hours do you have left? Now you take those hours. How many of those hours are spent with Jesus? Now, I, I've preached sermons that way. We've all preached sermons that way. What do you, what do you do with that? Like how many hours, how many hours, how many hours you've got to do it. You've got to do it. Oh, and not only just the hours you have to obey and you have to prepare and you have to be determined and you, and you have to isolate and you have to, you have to adore and you have to intercede and you've got to obey. You've got to do all of these things. But now it comes down to just mere time. Is an hour enough? Is two hours enough? Is three hours enough? What, 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 what is even anywhere close to sufficient? Because there has to be like, well, like little change base is determined by little time. Well, the more change is determined by more time. Well, how does this work? And you see in that mirror, you see yourself and you see Jesus in there at the same time. And then you and Jesus begin to be alike. You changed from glory to glory.
And what he's saying is if Moses in the Old Testament spent time going up there on Mount Sinai to get the Ten Commandments, how much more will we be changed as we look into the face of our Lord through His Word? Amen. That's the presence of the Lord. Folks, be ready in the morning. Father, I pray that you will... Uh... So, in conclusion, he never showed us where Moses lost it, where Moses deceived the people by wearing the veil, and where he got it back. He never even came close, and that was the whole thesis of the sermon. So, I'm still going to let you find that. When you find it, please send it to me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com, because I want you to find this. I can't, I, I can't wait to see who finds what. It'll be interesting. All right. Secondly, he, his definition of the presence of God, and, I, and he would deny this if he was alive, but if you listen to those two, part one and part two, this is the only definition you could come up with. The presence of God is your work and obedience and action. That determines the presence of God. The presence of God is really what you do. What you do, you, you, you don't see it, you don't feel it, you don't have, God's presence is irrelevant until you do, do, do this, this, this. How much time you spend, isolation, reading, studying, it, it's, it's all about what you do. The presence of God is not about what God is doing in us, through us, for us. It's what we do, 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 what we do. He's reduced the presence of God to nothing more than law-keeping by us. Much we could talk about there, but we'll stop. You can email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. We'll get part one, part two labeled as part one and part two. We'll try to create a series. It'll be on the Church One app and the Sermons 2.0 app on Exodus in the presence of God or, or practicing the presence of God, something along those lines. We'll get the artwork ready. We'll get the description. And we'll, uh, we'll review the uh, article that was posted just oh, hours ago. Um, on Christian Post about the presence of God. It's just interesting. This this concept is all over the place today. And maybe we'll do some uh, other sermon reviews on Exodus 33 and 34 just to see, or maybe we'll do a search, just a random search for presence of God and see what sermons show up and just randomly search and just see what what is the basic idea? What's the basic concept that people believe about this, right? Because it seems that God in us is really irrelevant. According to how Adrian Rogers handled the subject, God in you doesn't matter because you've got to do this and 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 this. And if you do all of that, then all of a sudden you become aware of the presence of God. All right, I'll stop right there. Thanks for listening. Wow, what? There's so much I want to say, but I'll stop. I can't wait to get everyone's feedback on this. Again, email or if you're in the Discord channel, let me know uh, what you think. And if you're listening, you want to be a part of the Discord, Discord server, just email me, newsif at yahoo.com, newsif at yahoo.com. I'll send you a link. Um, and if you do want to be a part of the Discord channel, we just it's not a place there to argue. It's a place just to, for everyone to discuss and try to find the truth together. All right, thanks for listening. Everyone have a great evening. God bless.